Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 112. This episode is with the newly appointed Academy Strength and Conditioning Coach at Philadelphia Union, Walter Grandes. So Walter's someone that I've followed for a while now on social media. He's very active on social media and puts out some great content. So I do recommend that you go and give him a follow. Um, he's on Twitter at W underscore and then Grandez, so G-R-A-N-D-E-Z. Walter came on the podcast to talk about what he's been doing during quarantine and between roles. Um, he gave some great information about how he's been going about getting the new role as well. So really insightful information for coaches that are in that similar sort of a position. We focused the podcast on complementing, not competing with performance. So some factors that go into that, that coaches need to consider. We spoke about some of the key skills that Walter thinks that practitioners need and they're not necessarily uh, technical skills in terms of qualifications, um, more sort of personal skills. Um, and then he also spoke about, along with a number of other things, dealing with parents as well. So some of the experience on dealing with parents. So Walter is actually a member of our online community as well. So with this podcast, we already give away a free month on our community. So if you sign up to the online community, you automatically get a free month on there. But anyone that comes um, off the back of this podcast, if you decide to sign up to the free month off the back of this podcast, then we will also give you a free copy of our Speed Drills ebook as well. So that's 25 drills that you can use with different players, um, all based around speed. So we'll, we'll throw that in for free. So if you do sign up to the community off the, back, uh, off the back of this podcast, make sure to drop us a message on social media at FootballFitFed, so that on Twitter or Instagram, let us know that you've signed up off the back of this episode with Walter, um, or drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com, um, with the tagline or the subject line, podcast. And we will make sure that you not only get your free month on the community, but you also get a free copy of our Speed Drills ebook as well. So to sign up to the community, go to www.footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, sign up there and you will get your free month and then we'll make sure that you get a free ebook sent over as well. So loads of top information in this podcast again. Um, Obviously, another practitioner that's landed a new role, which is great to hear. So I hope you enjoy episode 112 with Walter Grandes. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 112, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Walter Grandes. Walter, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ben, for having me. I'm excited to be your 112. Looking forward to this. Awesome, mate. And... Another newly appointed practitioner. I feel like the last few episodes, I think the last five episodes or so, back from Dave Tenney to um, Nicole in the last podcast, everyone's landing new jobs. So congratulations <laughs> on the new role. Academy S&C coach at Philadelphia. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to get started. I know it's, yeah, I, it makes me really happy that um, that a lot of us, you know, are finding new roles, new opportunities during this uh, pandemic because it's uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, I know you guys are going through your your next lockdown currently, and I felt like we have never left it out here in the states. So it's just it's nice, and it makes me really genuinely happy to know that like other people, um, yeah, out there are getting new roles. Yeah, definitely. And it is great to see so many top practitioners landing new roles. I think that's fantastic. Um, and let's just jump in because I've just mentioned the role that you're going to go into, but let's take you back now. So do you want to just take us through back to like your education and then previous roles that have led you up to this new role? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, man, I've had a zigzag life throughout the, yeah, the last four five years uh so just to kind of completely backtrack on the on the education component uh i graduated with my bachelor's uh, of kinesiology with an emphasis in applied fitness at cal state northridge out here in in los angeles um i came in as a transfer student from a community college 
originally thought I wanted to do nursing. Um, then that kind of led like, oh, I want to do sports medicine, uh, go into athletic training. But uh, yeah, after my first internship, I kind of, um, yeah, just fell in love with strength and conditioning. And that just kind of led me down this rabbit hole of uh, SNC. Uh, so kind of, yeah, my first ever exposure to SNC was during uh, my undergrad. The last year, um, I got an internship with EXOS. Uh, anybody's uh, familiar with that. So that was, it's athletes performance. It was out in Los Angeles, which was yeah, a great opportunity. First time exposure just to being around athletes um, from, you know, all age groups. I mean, we had like um, from from youth to high school, college to pro uh, soccer players, football players, American football players. Um, yeah, it was it was a great experience. It, um, I got to connect with um a lot of colleagues there that I'm still friends with today, which is kind of nice to see that we're all progressing in this field. Uh, that was about, yeah, four months. Um, then after my stint with EXOS came back and I finished my, uh, my undergrad, graduated, then decided I want to do collegiate strength and conditioning. So uh, what better place to do it at my alma mater at Cal State Northridge. So literally was an intern for about three weeks. Um, and then I got like promoted, which was crazy. I had my CSCS. Um, yeah, it was uh, an experience. Like I thought like, oh my God, like I, I've made it. Like I've like, yeah, I can call it kind of in a way quits. Like, I don't like, this is it. Like I'm at my school. Um, the reason why I got that opportunity was the director had left to take another uh, opportunity elsewhere. So there's, so there was somebody that needs to kind of take over the weight room uh, and help lead the the 19 um, teams that we had. And I was the only guy with the CSCS, the only intern with the CSCS. So an opportunity presented itself. So boom, yeah, I was there for about a year and a half. I will be honest, I made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> like plenty of mistakes, because I was a young coach. I mean, I was like three, two months having my, my certification um, freshly out of college. So I literally thought like, hey, like whatever I learned in, in school um, and from even my internship before, like it, 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 it will prepare me for this, but it didn't. So that's that was the harsh reality that um, that I faced where like nobody taught me how to, you know, speak to sport coaches or administration. So that was it was a learning curve for, for myself. But I ultimately made the really big decision to leave that paid position to go intern and continue to learn at another place. And, you know, a lot of people would think that I'm crazy for doing that, um, but just, I wanted more. I, I like, I knew I wasn't ready yet. So I left that position to go intern um, at a big school at the uh, University of Southern California. I worked both football and uh, American football and their Olympic programs. So I had really long days. Uh, my days started at five, got in the weight room at six, helped with football until, 11 12 p.m took a break and then worked with the olympic sports and i mean, I wouldn't leave like until 5 6 p.m then i would go to uh go work at a at a job at a at a local gym as a locker room attendant to kind of stay afloat so yeah that was a little bit my path then that was fall of 2018 I also started my master's program. So I did that online. Um, I thought that was beneficial for me since I was already in the field. I would have loved to do a GA position, but I, I say, look, I'm already in the field. I'm already kind of working. Um, like I'm already involved. So why not just do it online? So I did my program at AT Still University. Uh, I did a master's in kinesiology with an emphasis of sports conditioning and orthopedic rehab. I guess just a little bit me still tied to uh, that I like sports medicine and I want to find a way to kind of better, uh, uh, I, yeah, better become a better practitioner in that in that sense. Um, but yeah, after the the um, at USC, um, I got an opportunity to go do a professional paid internship at the Olympic Training Center for Team USA. So again, this getting out of my comfort zone, literally moved out of uh, sunny Los Angeles to the cold mountains of Colorado Springs, Colorado. With their six months, great experience. It literally taught me how to work in high performance. And um, there was a lot of expectations because everybody was getting uh, ready for the, sadly, what was supposed to be the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Um, yeah, so I credit a lot of, you know, me adapting 
and learning a lot to that organization. Um, I learned under a lot of great coaches there. Um, Brandon Cycle, Brandon Stone, um, Sam Gardner, who is the head of uh, Paralympic Sports. Um, that was my favorite group to work with with all the Paralympic athletes. Uh, yeah, but once I was down there, I knew that um, ultimately I wanted to come into to soccer, football. Uh, I just had to find the experience that I was lacking, and that was working with GPS, working kind of somewhat of an exposure also to sports science. I felt like a lot of, uh, you know, starting entry roles in soccer here in the States, like they were almost require you to have that experience in GPS. But how can you get that experience without like, you know, it, it seems like you need to be at a, at a club or an organization that has that kind of money to have that, that kind of technology. So the great thing that, um, that, you know, I networked a lot at the Olympic training center and um, it kind of led me to USA rugby seven. So uh, I reached out to the head strength coach and he told me, look, I will show you all you want to know about using stat sports GPS, just to kind of give you that uh, fundamental like knowledge and also how to create reports and how to, you know, deliver them to coaches. So I was like, yeah, why not? So again, from Colorado drove all the way down to Chula Vista. So San Diego, uh, 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 county in California, I crashed on someone's couch. Uh, USA Rugby couldn't um, couldn't pay me, which was fine. I mean, they paid me in food and clothes, so I was taken care of in that sense. Uh, yeah, I was there for about two months. Great experience. It literally taught me the what I needed to know for GPS, what to look at, what kind of metrics, um, even if it was just rugby. But I needed that exposure. And then I got a left call from professional baseball. So the Philadelphia Phillies baseball team reached out to me like, hey, you know, we need help in the Dominican Republic. We need uh, a strength coach, certified coach to help us take care of like of our academy. Would you be interested? And I had trouble at first saying yes, because I felt like this is going to take me away from from soccer, from football, from from what I really wanted. Um, but, you know, uh, John Hood, who was yeah, the head strength coach at the time for USA uh, Rugby Sevens, told me, like, look, if I were to hire you now, I would definitely pick your experience working in a different setting um, in baseball because, you know, you're open to, uh, to diversity, to different things versus a guy, you know, just all rugby throughout his life. Like, that's just me. So it was enough of a push for me to say, OK, yes. So literally that weekend, packed my stuff, like moved to Florida to get situated for two weeks in the team hotel for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, basically tell me, you know, their philosophy, what their expectations and literally ship me out to another country in the, in the Caribbean. So, wow, what, a, what an experience that was. I, was. I was there for five, six months. I mean, in another country, I do speak Spanish. But if those who don't know Spanish in, in like the Dominican Republic is a, is a lot different. It's, it's fast. It has, there's a lot of slang. So a lot of times I'm kind of like, wait, what? And then the kids would like joke with me. I'm like, oh, I thought you knew Spanish. I'm like, yeah, but I like you're fast, like slow it down. So it was, yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, and also to be around those kids who, you know, baseball is their way of life. These kids don't know how to move they they don't know their bodies so a lot of times it was just the education um and i love that so much and i'm like this is what i want to continue to do i would love to do this in soccer um but you know if it happens it happens but uh yeah my contract ended with the phillies it was an emergency contract um unfortunately they couldn't keep me on for the next season uh but that was okay because then it led me for the opportunity to work with the la galaxy so uh, I credit that to Adam Watterson. We've always kept contact throughout uh, 2019. Uh, Adam is the head strength coach for the LA Galaxy. Adam brought me in. Um, essentially, yeah, to kind of start with something new with the academy. Um, you know, he literally gave me a blank canvas to kind of paint around. Uh, the club um, has had some models before, but not a definitive long-term athletic development model. So it was kind of nice to start something there and then um, that was never there before do assessments for growth and maturation so it was a great experience unfortunately um i didn't have to leave the club and that was because of covid so uh, you know we were everybody was affected by covid so uh, ultimately i was laid off um from the club um and then that was around the beginning of june 
So from then on, I would just been doing a lot of stuff on my own, trying to, you know, prepare myself for the next role, which ultimately it led to this one, which another, uh, you know, really big club who's passionate about long-term athletic development. And that's, yeah, the Philadelphia Union. So that's kind of the sum up of the last four years of my life. Brilliant. And there's loads of things we can go into with this. But one thing I wanted to yeah. start with was that you've talked about all the opportunities and and areas or sports that you've ended up in. Now, that's no fluke. I know that's no fluke. And it, when I speak to different practitioners, um, there's a couple of words that come up and spring to mind that practitioners that get opportunities, tenacity, bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different the uh, commonalities between between people like yourself and we've talked about Evie before we started recording yeah. that I know you know well um so it's so important isn't it and I think that's one lesson that some of the listeners can take away straight away especially people that are possibly starting out on their coaching journey is that these are key skills and they're not skills yeah. that you're going to learn in a textbook or on a coaching course but you have to do this to some degree, don't you? You have to be willing to put yourself out there to create these oh, opportunities. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, 100%. You have to put yourself out there. Um, be open to be vulnerable. I mean, I know I was because the harsh reality was that I- I've been told plenty of times throughout this journey that one, I'm too old for this. Cause sadly, I mean, you know, I started this path really late um, and I'm always honest with it at the age that I started this, but I started when I was 26, 27. Um, I found my calling. I knew what I wanted to do. Yes. I started late. Uh, I was told that this is a young coach's game, um, but you know, I didn't listen to that because the ultimately the only person who told me I can't do this and no is myself. So that was, that was the battle because there were, I, I, there were days where I'm like, I don't, not that I knew I couldn't do it, but I'm like, man, if I only had started earlier and because I still had, I've always had the same ambition throughout this whole journey. I just like, man, I kicked myself in the butt, but I only started earlier, but then I have to, you know, put myself in check that like, no, I shouldn't think like that because, and have regrets because it literally led me to this path, this special path that, that has made me the practitioner I am today. Yes, I started late, but you know what? It, it's okay. So if anything, like I tell a lot of coaches, like, look, um, if you're 30, 29, if you want to start coaching, get into this path, it's possible. It really is. Yes, that might be a little bit tougher, but look, if you have the tenacity, you have the hunger, you have the ambition, you literally can get there as soon as possible. Just you got to put your mind to it. Yeah, I think there's positives and negatives to being younger and then having more life experience, though, isn't there? Because yeah. Like it, you've been through different roles, you've had different experiences, but and and 26 is no age, by the way. Like we're not we're not <laughs> talking, we're talking like you're 50, 60 years old. Like it, that's not the case at all. But I know exactly what you mean. That a lot yeah. of people will be pushing people towards going straight through university and then ending up in a role straight away. But for me, there's positives and negatives to both. Like because if you yeah. have a few extra years life experience, that's going to benefit you even if it's the communication skills or whatever it is that you pick up to work with athletes, there's so many benefits, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it definitely was. It is because, well, when I was in uni, um, one of my part-time jobs was working at a hospital. Um, again, looking for that experience that like, do I wanted to go into nursing or into radiology science? Um, so I worked part-time um, at a hospital and I, I was patient transport. So my job was essentially push patients from their bed that, you know, they need to go to OR. I got to push them there, take them from ER to their bed to testing. So that opportunity there uh, and part-time and unique just gave me the experience and the confidence to, you know, to speak to people, to speak to random people and people that I never knew of. And so I was okay. Yeah. When I'm, I'm going into a new coaching role or a new organization, like I'm not shy, I'm not reserved because I've, you know, I've allowed myself to be open and vulnerable in, in other settings. Yeah, I, th- I think we all know coaches or practitioners that are very, very skilled, that don't have, and we've talked about this loads, like they don't have that, the communication skills, the soft skills to actually get across mm-hmm. what they want to get across. So you working in those settings, in the hospital setting, or there's other practitioners that have worked in different settings before. Yeah. It's invaluable, isn't it? We learn different skills. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, and the other thing that you mentioned before, Walter, was the fact that um, you were talking about 
going through qualifications and it not preparing you for the roles that you ended up in. Well, then also you said about going into the Olympic program and that did prepare you for high performance. So what was the difference you think between the two? Cause I'm, I'm trying to think now young coaches listening that are going through any sort of qualifications. What do you think, where would you point out? What are the areas that they need to possibly gain extra experience and really focus on getting certain skills from? Yeah. Um, yeah, the big thing, I mean, as you mentioned, the soft skills, like I think that is extremely important. Uh, again, don't neglect the hard skills. Uh, I mean, your certification just gives you the bare minimum to, to practice uh, uh, S&C. So, I mean, you're, and same thing goes with your, your university, what you learn there. But like, I'll be honest, I know a lot smarter coaches than me. Like there's smarter coaches than me, but they have trouble delivering that message um, to, you know, their athletes, to other um, practitioners, to administration or other people in the organization. Um, Cause that's, that's a skill set that you have to learn. You have to keep practicing. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I credit the Olympic training center because it's, there's high expectations. Like they don't treat you as just an intern, go clean weights, go do this, this, and this. No, you're actually on the floor day one. The second I walked into the weight room, they're like, go coach, go coach. And I'm like, okay, cool. You can coach. Here's your team. Here is a uh, para triathlon. Here is uh, uh, like para, para judo. Like, so they literally give you that stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Contact the coach. They, they threw me in. Like, so I'm like, okay, cool. Now I had to like develop my soft skills even more because again, you're working with the 1%. So like, you know, they, they value your opinion, but you're also, yeah, you have to know that was a perfect spot for me to like, look, I know my stuff now deliver it. So, whereas it like, you know, when I was a young coach at, uh, at my first job, like, you know, yeah, I did know my stuff, but I didn't know how to deliver it. And then it's just like, then you kind of get stepped on. I mean, I had quite a few teams, their head coaches were like, uh, Walter doesn't know anything. I'm like, well, like, Again, yeah, you know, I was a little bit shy on reserve because it was my first job. But yeah, the big thing I tell uh, like like young coaches is that like, look, of, of course, don't neglect your hard skills. But this is a business that is like, you know, 20, uh, it's 80 percent people skills. Like and then the rest is like, you know, what you learned in uni. Again, I mean, don't take into full con like uh, context that like, oh, my God, I don't have to neglect what I learned, all the science and et cetera. No, you still have to. It's a big part. But like, you just have to learn how to like communicate that across the board. Um, put yourself in a position that you're a valuable team member because that will literally save your job. If you can't do that, then they're going to be like, oh no, we don't need this guy. Like, we'll just, you know, shoo him away. Well, and then in terms of the hard skills as well, I think a lot of people think that the university or the qualifications they've done, they're the be all and end all. We learn it all there and then we get into mm -hmm. actually coaching and then we just use the information that we've had. But I know you're, you're someone that's constantly learning, constantly sort of testing yourself as a practitioner. So it's a bit of a hard question, but how much do you think of your knowledge that you've built up was from previous qualifications and how, many was, uh, how much of it was actually getting involved and I suppose learning on the job? Yeah, um, you know what it, it was? Not, I wouldn't say 50 50, uh, whereas like you know, even, but there was definitely a lot of things that, I, of course, that I learned in uni prepared me, but it also helped me question a lot of the things that I learned. Um, not saying that my professors were wrong or what I learned in undergrad was wrong, but I think that's that's healthy and that's normal because it helps you chase that proverbial rabbit hole to keep wanting more, to keep learning more. So I mean, same thing went for my master's program. I mean, I learned a lot of new things, um, especially in, in, on the rehab side. Um, but again, like, it's how can I make that apple, uh, applicable in a team setting? Because that's way different. Like, yes, the old model was they go see their physio. They're with the physio. Physio's like, all right, here's, the, here's your S&C. And then here, go back to practice. Whereas like, you know, in the team setting, I learned like, no, it should be one fully integrated model. Like the SNC should be with the physio working together. And then as the, the SNC kind of takes a little bit more of the reins uh, and physio is kind of in, in the background helping out, then the sport coach comes in, the skills coach comes in. So that's kind of what I learned at, you know, 
with the with the Phillies in um and their base with their baseball team in the Dominican Republic, and same thing when with Galaxy. So that is something that you won't learn really in a in um in uni. They just kind of like show you like this is what you do, and like it's not applicable yet because how can you? I mean, unless you're in a program and they kind of then give you a placement, then that's perfect, and that's kind of one of the things that. I seen and I've enjoyed at least in, in the UK that in master's programs that they put you in a placement program with a team. Whereas I don't really see that as much in the States, maybe as a GA, but then again, you have to like, um, you know, in a lot of terms, like it's, it's too much. Like, I mean, you're, you're as a GA here in the States, you're in charge of four or five teams. Whereas yeah, yeah maybe in the UK, I mean, you're, you're in charge of, of a smaller team. So it, I felt, I feel like that's more set up for success. For you versus i mean here in the states where you're you're a ga and you have like five, four or five teams words like it's a lot a lot of load i think that's a great point that you made with um that when you get into a role you start questioning things you learn because i don't see that yeah. as a negative at all there's so many approaches isn't there and and practitioners are always going to evolve as well and we mm -hmm. only evolve by doing exactly that by questioning things that we've done before um, I listened to a podcast the other day and I can't even remember who it, was, who it was with, but they were talking about if you don't look on five years ago, some of your programming or the way you speak or the way you wrote and get a little bit embarrassed and you've not progressed. And I think, yeah. I think that's fair, isn't it? Like we, we have to, we have to progress as coaches and sort of question what we did before. Yeah. That's, that's funny that you mentioned. I was literally thinking about that this past weekend, like the stuff that I believed in and I did at the start of my sessions um, is just, yeah, it's, it's drastically changed. I've, I learned to become more adaptable. I mean, you know, one thing me coming from the starting off essentially in the private sector with Exos, that the, the beauty of it in that setting is that you literally have like an hour and 30 with, with your athlete, like you can control it like the, the session, um, the, the time and et cetera, versus, you know, you're in the college and the professional, like you don't have 30, like 90 minutes with an athlete, like that you have 30 minutes, 20 minutes. So like, what can you do? How, how effective can you be in that time constraint? Um, so that's, again, I had to learn to adapt. Um, but yeah, I, I kick myself in the butt, like the stuff I used to do, like <laughs> uh, when I first started in year one. I think everyone goes through that, don't they? I think yeah. every coach will look back and everyone that we speak to, they've made mistakes. They'll openly admit they've made mistakes, but you learn and that's mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Um, the other thing I was going to talk to you about was the, the lockdown, the quarantine period, but also the period between roles. Because I know you're not someone to sit back and and uh, no. just relax and put your feet up. I know there's been, it's been very productive. So where did your focus go in this time? Yeah, so... Uh... So the one thing that, um, well, when I was with Galaxy, there was one project that my boss, Adam, gave me, and that was, hey, create uh, like a management system, like for the academy. That's something for us to track, you know, their load, their intensity um, from, it could be from like, you know, subjective uh, measurements to objective measurements, because we, we didn't get GPSs for the, the academy until I was like three months in. Um, that was just because the first team was getting new units and they were going to kick down our old ones. So yeah, I created something out of Excel. I credit that learning experience a lot to, uh, to John Life. Uh, I reached out to him. He gave me the fundamentals to kind of start uh, on Excel, how to, you know, look at uh, the VBA coding and just how to, you know, essentially write out like, yeah, the formulas to create, you know, your athlete management system uh, on Excel, which it like opened up a whole new world for me because if I could be honest, when I was in uni, um, you know, one of those kind of things on your resume that you put that like, oh, what are you proficient in? And I, I would lie and put Excel. Oh God, like it just, I would do that just cause like, you know, it was a must, but now I can honestly say that I'm, you know, what decent or proficient uh, in Excel. So yeah, that, that just opened up a whole door for me um, because the reality is that um, if you're in a club that doesn't have the money to afford, you know, uh, Kitman, I believe it's Kitman Labs or um, Conduct, these like really nice and fancy, uh, like management systems, like your best bet is your Excel. So I spent a good chunk of quarantine just developing my Excel skills even more. 
uh, building, um, you know, just another athlete management system for another club for, uh, and professional rugby to uh, building new strength cards, dynamic strength cards, just to make, you know, life easier for other coaches. And I gave the stuff for free because I wanted to open up a conversation with a lot of coaches like, hey, what are you doing? Like, how can I help? Um, whereas like, you know, some coaches like, can you actually create something for me? Um, so there, of course, I would, you know, have a set price, like I can create this for you. That was a little bit also my side hustle, but it just opened up this complete world for me that I was also neglecting. And that was having like a, just a, a foundation of data literacy, like a little bit of the stats. Um, just, I dove into that because I feel that's something we tend to neglect as strength coaches. Like, yes, the, the whole strength conditioning, that's the sexy part. They're the fun part, but like when you do your testing and you look at your progressions, like how do you know your training program is actually being effective? So that's why I started diving a little bit into the stats, a little bit more into the data, because I wanted to hold myself accountable even more for my next role. And I'll be quite honest, because I dove into this, it literally opened up a door for me for my new job. Uh, they, when, I, when I interviewed, I showed them what I was working with. This is what I've been doing for quarantine. And they were blown by it. They were like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And literally two days later, they're like, we want to bring you on board. And I was like, yes. And I was actually talking to uh, my new boss and because he, he loved the work I was doing. And he's also a data savvy guy that we want to then now create. It's, it's a thought process, but we want to create a podcast to deliver to coaches, um, just blending a mix of like that data performance together um, where I can then, we can offer, you know, um, introductory to data, like understanding coding, but also like doing like skill sets to better develop your Excel. So that's kind of a thought thing, uh, thought process we're working on. So yeah, excited where that's going to go. But yeah, that's essentially what I spent my whole quarantine is just getting better at Excel, opening my world, the world to like, to, uh, to Python, to R, just to kind of, yeah, build a whole different skill set in a way, separate myself um, from other people. And it's, and it literally helped out a lot. It's the reason why I want to say I, I was successful in landing a job was being open to something new. I just want to give a very quick update on our online community. So we've got had a couple of recent additions. So if you weren't able to watch the webinar with Dr. Laura Bowen, Prevention is Cheaper Than the Cure, that is now available to watch on demand on our online platform. And we've also, um, I've delivered a webinar on the top 10 takeaways from the first 100 episodes of this podcast so if you want a bit of a roundup, you want to listen to some of my takeaways from the first 100 episodes and the first 100 guests on the podcast, then you can also check that out on the community as well. So to get to sign up to become a community member, just go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, make sure you go the, through the full um, sign up process and then that will set you up with one free month. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward um, and you continue to get access to all the amazing information that's on there, including some exciting webinars that we have coming up as well. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and get access to the top 10 takeaways of the webinar that I've delivered on the first 100 episodes, but more importantly, um, the webinar by Dr. Laura Bowen Prevention is cheaper than the cure. I'll leave you to part two of the episode with Walter Grandes. I think that's great to hear as well that you've been so productive in that time, but also that it's paid off. Um, now, I've, I've just seen snapshots of the, the KPI profile that you've been putting out on yeah. LinkedIn and social media. And I'll be completely honest, I'm complete novice. It goes right over my <laughs> head. But that, that is a point, isn't it? That it probably does for quite a few people and we should understand it better. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important and, and the data and the information that is in that in, in those spreadsheets and everything that you've loaded. I mean, I know a lot of people have reached out to you to get copies of it. So mm -hmm. um, at the end of the podcast, we'll, we'll go, we'll give away some um, yeah. information for people to reach out to yourself because I think there'll be plenty interested. Um, but another topic we we're going to talk about, Walter, was, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but is 
complementing, not competing with performance on the pitch. And when I sort of say that phrase, what are some things that jump out to you that we do as S&C or sports science? We put into our programme just because we've, we've always done it, but it may sort of compete with performance rather than complement it. Yeah, um, it's actually a good question. I've been thinking about that a lot. So you kind of gave me the heads up on that. Um, uh, yeah, actually, can you repeat that again for one more time, just for my own clarity? Yeah, of course. So it's, and I don't expect like there to be right. There's this, this, and yeah. this, but it's more of a discussion. But and I think it's quite a nice thing to sort of talk about is that obviously everything we want to do away from the pitch, we want to complement performance. We want it to complement what yeah. we're on the pitch. But there's going to be elements of our our preparation, and this is probably some of the mistakes that coaches have made as well along the way that have competed with it. So it, it's possibly taken away. So I'll give examples that people that have gone into the gym and possibly done programs for more for their ego or things that they've seen and they, they've just forced into the program rather than looking at the athlete or the player and saying, right, they could do with A, B and C. Um, that, that, would, that, would, that would help them with their performance on the pitch. I think sometimes as practitioners, we, we already have a program preset and we don't take yeah. that, that individual into consideration as much as we probably should. Now, that's just a little, an example, but I thought it'd be good to have a discussion around some things that you've possibly seen or, or even experienced yourself that you feel has competed with performance rather than complemented it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once You bring up a good point because one thing I feel like, I mean, I've actually done in the past that I've never taken the athlete's thoughts and their rituals into consideration. Um before uh, I know in baseball when I was there it was kind of a thing that they had like a little ritual what they did but we also had like a like a preparatory like pre-game lift for a lot of our pitchers um, it was a great program but I felt like you know we could add what they want um, as long as it you know it's not detrimental for the you know with, for their performance over what they're going to do when they're going to get ready to perform so I think that's something we kind of neglect even if it's something that's that's you know small if it like if it makes them feel good why not add it but yes but still stay true to your program i mean i know when i was in the when the galaxy um um a lot of my guys had you know they like to be in their own realm like we like we didn't do a lot of pre-game lifts just because there was never the time to um but yeah that's yeah again that's just something I, you know, in the past neglected a lot that I would put into their programming. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, like, I mean, I hope that's an okay answer for you. But like, yeah, that's kind of like, that's something that I neglected. Yeah, in the past, just, you know, having, taking their thoughts into considerations. Um, uh, but again, just being safe about it. Yeah, I, I, I think back to the podcast I did with Darren Burgess. Um, and Darren brought up a point where he was working at Liverpool with a player. And the player always wanted to do, and I can't remember the distance, but they always wanted to do a run. And they yeah. wanted to do a run on the morning of a game. And obviously, as sports scientists or, or S&C coaches, we're like, ah, well, that's probably not the best thing <laughs> yeah. to do. But the player felt better. They wanted to do it, and they were probably going to do it anyway. If, if they didn't agree to it, they were probably going to do it anyway. So it was something where Darren talked about on the podcast where he said, listen, I had to accept that. I had to accept they were going to do it anyway. I just kind of had to monitor what they were doing. Yeah. And I think he even said, and I might be wrong on this, I think he even said he went with them a few times as well, just to make sure yeah. that the distances they were doing wasn't anything too crazy. And obviously, if it has a massive impact on performance, then you can step mm -hmm. in. And then you could possibly yeah. say, well, should we do this instead of this? But there's things that we do and things that we do in our preparation that may not be 100% textbook, um, yeah, yeah. But it, we have to work and we have to manage that individual and, and some of the thoughts and needs that they have. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely one of the, the uh, chaotic parts of it. Um, now that I think back to it, I remember there was one athlete um, when I worked at, with the Phillies. He loved, uh, he was a pitcher, loved doing bicep curls right before game day. Like uh, if he was, uh, you know, even not if he was starting or if he was like a relief pitcher, loved doing some bicep curls. It made him feel good, made his arms feel good. 
So of course, like, I don't want him to like bang out like a bunch of like reps or, you know, do a little bit of a, that eccentric loading with bicep curls for that, for that sweep up. So yeah, I would do it with him, but I'll also kind of change it for him. I would make him balance on one foot or make it into a split stance position where he's like, oh, I'm kind of being challenged differently. Now his load isn't high. He's not going to be focusing so much uh, on the curls. He now has to, you know, tackle another constraint, but you know, he still gets his cookie. Like he still gets his bicep curls and still feels good. So there were times where, yeah, that's how I would change it. Or yeah, just do it with them. Um, I, and you know, athletes love when you do something with them. It's, uh, it, you know, again, like, as you mentioned it, like you're monitoring their load, but also you're still building that that buy-in that trust that like hey this is a coach is cool with this like he likes that like i'm doing this he understands me um because yeah as us the the practitioners the snc coaches like we're with them like almost all the time more than their actual sport coaches yeah definitely and then the other thing that i suppose comes into this and this is probably where it does get um, there's going to be different views and opinions on this, but and I don't know, I don't know what it's like in in the states as much, but over here it's a bit of a contentious topic with private practitioners working with players mm. from a team. Um, yeah, and when it's done well, we talked about this quite a lot, a lot of the time. And there's there's coaches that have been on the podcast that work privately with players and they do it very well. They're, they're constantly in dialogue with the coaches or the or the team sinking in with their work then great then that can work i think that can work really well but it can also be done pretty badly can't it like if players are doing sessions that the clubs don't know they're doing it might be a big weight session or a speed session or something that looks great on social media and the coach wants to take videos of it and post it but that load that they're doing isn't being monitored and isn't being registered so that's when it can really compete with performance yeah. can't it? it's not complimenting it so i don't know what your views and experiences are with that if you if there are any but i think that's one area that we do really need to be wary of yeah no I, i've been on both ends so i've been you know in the college route when i was an assistant i've um i've worked with you know the the personal trainer they've actually been kind enough to reach out to me and tell me like, Hey, this is who I'm working. I'm working with one of your athletes. And, you know, uh, just that's great. I, I, luckily I haven't been in that situation where I, I haven't had that communication that or the lack of communication with their, their personal trainers. Cause when I was with the galaxy, um, during quarantine, some of our, some of our kids, yeah, they would do our program. They loved it, but they would also have, you know, their specific skill keeper, like for the goalkeepers, they would have like someone on the side where they would do extra stuff. Um, and you know what, like for me, a lot of that is the education component, teaching them about like, you know, load intensity about their bodies, how that plays into factor for, you know, them at practice for games. Um, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of it is educating them, like, but I've had a good experience so far, yeah, like I said, on both ends where I've done, like, personal training, and I've, I've done my due diligence to reach out to their strength coach, like, hey, this is what we're doing, um, for me, if anything, like, you know, th- they say that, like, you know, SNC is, we're here to compliment, we're, we're here to compliment uh, for them, now, for me, as a personal trainer, I'm here to compliment their SNC coach, like, so, like, because, again, I've been there in that same situation. So I've never had any negative things about it, just as long as there's communication, because the reality is that, especially with age groups, look like um, there, you have to set a limit on who you can talk to. Uh, I guess an example would be that like, um, you know, working the Academy, like for an under 12, like, I can't really have his private information. Like how I get information out to him is usually by the team manager or the operations manager of the Academy. And then that gets sent out to him. So a lot of times great. If I have the parents contact information or sometimes, you know, like they have their, the parents hire their, you know, extra trainer uh, because again, I'm not, I can't be around them 24 seven. So then that's what we kind of have that communication. Um, but I have heard like horror stories where um yeah, they, there's no communication and then just athletes just get injured because they're tired, they're fatigued. So, but again, that's when I tell my athletes, I don't, yeah, I always assume they're going to have a trainer and I'm, I, that's just my, me just educating them 
that, uh, you know, that extra load will play a factor and it, it could be a deciding factor on why you're not on the, on the selection for the game, because look, you're, you're beat up. Like that's just stuff that I wasn't able to, to monitor. Cool. Yeah, they did. If they're honest with me, they, they gave me an RPE rating. I'm like, cool. I, that's something that's better than nothing. I have that kind of RPE, you know, time um, and that kind of SRP just to take that into account. But again, like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just all about the communication, but I, I really don't have an issue with it. Just maybe I'm playing, you know, devil's advocate because I've been on the other side of the spectrum, but again, I've done my due diligence on communicating. And I think that's the important point. I think you bring up a great point there for academy coaches in particular that um, the education side of what we do is so important, isn't it? But you brought up a great point. And I think this will ring true with a lot of coaches out there that it's not always, especially at those lower ages, it's not always a case of educating just the player Mm -hmm. because the parents have such a big impact on what they're doing day to day. And we've, we face that in the UK is that, and this is probably going to be a trend more and more over the next coming years. They want extra all the time. They'll, they'll take them yeah. to a, speed, a sprint coach. They'll take them to um, a personal trainer. They'll do like, because they think it's helping, which, which it, it, you could argue yeah. it, it potentially could do. But if it's just adding work on top of work, we know that's probably not the best thing. So I think yeah. you make a great point is that you're not just, educating the player at those ages especially those younger academy ages it's got to be the parent and everyone that's going to sort of impact on that on that player and that child as well hasn't it yeah no definitely Uh, that's one thing that i enjoyed you know uh with the galaxy is that um the parents uh because they knew of my background they would come to me with a million questions and i don't mind if i stayed after practice 20 30 minutes to talk to the parents because of course the parents will dictate their kids' lives because they know what's best for them. So yeah, I've, I enjoyed having conversations with the parents like, hey, this is my professional opinion. This is like, just so that way they hear it from me, the, the person, you know, with the experience, the degree, the certification versus, you know, a social media person. I'm like, and not to bag on their business, but like at the end of the day, you know, your son or daughter is in this academy for a reason. Um, I understand you want to do extras to, to get them to further develop them, but like the, it, yeah, again, all of, a lot of times it's the education component, um, you know, teaching them, the parents and the kids, because that's something that I do a lot, again, with my athletes is teaching them, educating them so they can make the right decisions. So even if it's, yeah, when I'm working with an under 11, uh, I'm teaching them stuff, um, educating them. But when they get a little bit older, when they can kind of, you know, comprehend a little bit more, I'm introducing sports science to the under 14. So that way it better prepares them when they're in the under 17s, the under 19s, and again, teaches them so they can make the right decisions when they go out, you know, to PE at school, or, you know, if they do go to their, your extra personal trainer, um, yeah, like that's it's that's essentially how I kind of program even in the weight room, um, and I credit that to Sam Gardner at the Olympic Training Center. Like he's like I'm a fan of a three three week cycle for a program, which I still do a little bit today. Which is the first week we teach, the second week we refine, the third week we master. And by master is like you step away as a coach, let them yeah let them explore, you know, again, teach them week one, refine them, let them explore. And then three, there should be mastering it. And then boom, next week we change it up again. So then we're, we're giving them autonomy. So that's kind of, yeah, how I still program a lot today. Brilliant. That. I really like that. Um, and I was just going to pick up on something that you mentioned as well with, with parents asking questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. If parents are coming to you and they're they're unloading a load of questions at you, I think that's that shows that there's a there's an element of trust there. I think yeah. when parents, this is just my my opinion, like call me out, and I'm sure people may disagree. But when parents are quiet and they, they don't speak to you as much, I think that's when they um, they're probably making their own decisions on things, yeah. which which could go one way or the other. So I think, in my personal opinion, and working with academy players, I think that's a good thing when parents start asking questions. Yeah, no, no, I I actually agree with you that like if they're quiet and they're not saying anything, um, 
yeah, <laughs> then that's kind of they're they're making their own decisions. But again, that was um, you know me working in the academy, sitting with Galaxy. Like I enjoyed when they came to me, but even then, I like putting out information out uh, to the parents. You know, if it's via email, like I would send it out to the team manager. I'm like, hey, um, can you put this out an email blast? Like just you know tips on how to recover from you know after a, a post game. Like just yeah, I feel like that's. I should be doing my due diligence to reach out to those who are those parents that are quiet. Um, yeah, that's kind of my approach. Yeah, to yeah, for quiet parents. Awesome. And we'll move it on, Walter, to some quick fire questions. Yeah. And I always say quick fire, but don't worry if you go into a bit of detail <laughs> on these because they're not all too quick fire. Um, but the first one, which I know is tough for a lot of people, but who have been some of the biggest influences on your career? Yeah, um, biggest influence, I'm going to say the whole entire staff at the University of Southern California, the whole strength and conditioning staff. I say that because every individual coach from the director to the head coach, strength coach for football, they've all played a role um, to, to, yeah, to shape me for who I am. Um, I always credit that internship program. Um, you know, if I was to like a young coach, if you have the opportunity to go internet USC, I would do that. Um, they're just phenomenal, great people. Like, you know, the, the, it's an internship program that, you know, uh, a, there's a thing that like, you know, with um, even an American football, like, oh, you're not going to coach. You're just going to go clean weights. You're going to go change weights. Like, no, that wasn't the case at USC. You actually coach. They care about your education. So, they, yeah, they help shape I mean, who I am today. Um, individually, I credit, you know, my big mentor is, you know, Sam, Sam Gardner at the Olympic Training Center, who's the head of Paralympic SNC. He just a phenomenal coach, great human being, just always sat down with me. Um, I feel bad at times because like I would, I felt like I was taking away him his time from his missus because we just sat down and just like, you know, shoot the shit so much. Um, but also a guy like, you know, Dan Guzman, who's uh, the head of, of performance at LASC. Like Dan is someone who like, you know, if I have a, a moment of crisis, if it comes to this, this profession, like I need help. He is the one person I can, you know, I can call and just be like, and he can, and he'll answer the call and, and, you know, him, great mentor, uh, even, you know, my time with, uh, with the LA galaxy, Adam Watson, um, you know, great practitioner helped me a lot um adjusting to uh to football um even oh will will sparks the head sports scientist there um he's the one who always pushed me to like chase that proverbial rabbit hole of like keep asking why why and that way you're kind of still yeah you're still developing as a practitioner and i know that's always hard for coaches because i know after you'll be like oh i should have i should have named this person this person this person yeah. but, <laughs> uh, and i realized that uh, so i know it's a tough one but yeah um, the next one walter what's your biggest strength as a coach um yeah just that's that is actually a tough question um because i feel like i have i would say a laundry list like i feel like it's like an interview question <laughs> for a job you know it's just my compassion, like, th th it's the reason why I got into this profession. Like, when I started, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do for my, in my life, like, I, you know, nursing was like, like, in a way, a fallback, because I knew I cared about people, I knew I wanted to do change people's lives. But when I knew I can do it in this setting, like, and just care for people, help them get to the to the next level, like, that's what I knew I wanted to do. So the fact that like, you know, I, I care and I, uh, I care a lot. Uh, I could wear my, my heart on my sleeve a lot. Like I, I get that. I get told that a lot. It's just cause I, that's how I grew up. I, I, I love my parents. My, my parents, uh, I want to say they, they uh, raised me right. They, they raised me to care. Um, they're hardworking people. Um, so yeah, just, I want to say it's, it's that like, um, there's also a lot of stuff that I, I can continue to learn on. Um, but I want to say, yeah, that's the driving factor. It's the why for me that I get up in the morning is that I have the ability to go change other people's lives. Awesome. And then the next one, which I know this is going to be another tough one for you. What's the best bit of CPD you've done recently? So whether it's a webinar, whether it's a certain podcast or whether it's a certain blog or an article, like, yeah. is there anything that really stands out for you? 
Oh man, that was a lot. <laughs> just, there was a lot I knew of this one was going to be tough for you. I knew yeah, it was going to be tough. It, okay, it's tough because there were diff, there was a lot of check boxes I wanted to continue to learn on. Um, one was of course the Excel stuff, like the whole data stuff. So I would continue to look at John Knight's videos on YouTube uh, for Excel. Adam Virgil, who's another great uh, sports science uh, practitioner, puts up great tutorials, learned a lot on his stuff. Um, yeah, that's in terms of the Excel stuff, uh, going a little bit into the coding, a lot of continuing education on that. Data Camp, uh, that was my go-to source. Now, but when it came to everything else, especially since I still wanted to work in, in football and soccer, uh, you guys, of course, uh, that was massive. I, I've literally watched all your videos. I'm not lying. Like I've watched all of them because I've had a lot of downtime. Um, I literally sat on my lazy boy with my laptop and I just like plugged away. So yeah, you guys, of course, uh, other places, um, uh, the, yeah, the strength uh, coach network, here's a platform, uh, science for sport. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of good resources out there. Um, on YouTube, you know, when we went through the whole, you know, coaches versus COVID, they had that series out Hawkins dynamics, like that has all been my pretty much my go-to but also um i've been reading books uh that is outside of snc stuff that would make me as a better practitioner one was one book that i learned that i read was ultra learning and i felt that i would tie that really well to um me learning you know data um stats and uh coding uh, another book was brief um which is a book on how to get straight to the point I, uh, that's a really good book when, yeah, you want to get straight to the point, point to your coach. Um, uh, it, it's more of a business book, but I mean, you could still relate that to coaching. Like, yeah, you only have like uh, a short amount of time to get your point across. Like how effective can you get that across? So that, that book brief, um, like I mentioned, ultra learning. And actually there's, let me, let me see if there was one book I like, I've made a list cause a, a lot of people have reached out to me like, Oh, you got to check out this book. Um, which, oh, I, I bought this book, but I haven't started yet, but it was um, never split the difference. So um, yeah, looking forward to reading that one. Once um, I'm finished reading zonal marking, I don't know. I like, I got, I got like intrigued by that. So that kind of pulled me away from reading the uh, never split the difference. Awesome, mate. There's loads in there. I, I really like the sound of brief. I think um, business is, definitely an area as coaches we can learn a hell of a lot from oh, yeah. isn't it so even though it's not to do with football or sports science specifically there's habits and traits yeah. that you can take and apply without doubt um the last couple of questions walter this is the same yeah. two different two different types of people so what do you think and this might tie into what your previous answer but it could be different what do you think the most important trait is as a coach Oh yeah, being open-minded. Like I understand that um, we have our ways for certain things. Um, you have your philosophy, um, but what I learned from actually from the sports science coordinator, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Vo. I, I always say his last name wrong, but like Kyle uh, at USC, he told me that it's great to have your philosophy because it you know it clearly defines who you are. But be, but be open-minded because your philosophy will change throughout the years, throughout the months, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's a key trait, like don't get stuck in your old ways. So I feel like there's a lot of coaches that, yeah, they, they're stuck to the old ways because it works, but one day that way will not work. And then you have to be able to adapt. Uh, yeah, just be open-minded. I mean, there's a lot of good information out there, but there's also a lot of bad information out there. Also, I mean, uh, yes be open-minded but have a sense of filter like use your best judgment again what you learn from university what you learn through your internships to kind of help you make the right decision um uh but yeah because yeah there's a lot of stuff out there especially on twitter uh, I, I feel like heck there's a lot of argument on twitter i i signed up for twitter just recently like and just there's just a lot of <laughs> just a lot of arguing and it's it's funny sometimes i will say like i'll sit back and i eat my popcorn I'm like wow like, that's really mean. Oh, wow. That actually person makes sense. But yeah, just, just be open-minded. Like, you may never know, like, 
like who you're going to learn your next skill trait. It may not even be an SNC or sports medicine. Like I learned a lot at Galaxy from other departments, even from the kit man, from the groundsman, like just be open-minded to like learn new things. That ties into exactly what we talked about before, doesn't it? Where looking back yeah. on like five years ago, you'd probably be a bit embarrassed to what you put out because you, you everyone <laughs> should be progressing. And the, the only way yeah. to progress is ex exactly that, questioning what we've done previously and then being open-minded. So I think that's a great point. Um, and then that same question, so the most important trait, well, if you flip it now and go to a player. For the player, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I want to say uh, it's 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 like a mental trait. Like I feel like yes, we we uh, focus a lot, or athletes focus so much on the physicality of their body, which is yes, it's great. But you also have to have a good uh, like a mental skill set, like your psychology, your your um, your mental health has to be just important. So don't neglect that, like as an athlete, you, if you have to be able to deal with stress. So I would tell my athletes in the past, like, look, be open to meditation, be open to having a moment where you can just close your eyes and give thanks to yourself, have a sense of gratitude because th that that's literally going to save you because there's going to be a moment in your career where like, you're going to deal with a lot of stress. Like if you're going to be working in professional sports, you're at the top one. A lot of people are going to expect you to carry the team, to carry your nation. Um, so keep, you, uh, yeah, keep your uh, sanity healthy. Like that's just as important as, you know, the, the whole physical aspect of your body. I think we can all think of like famous examples of people that have done that well, just dealt with a lot of shit. And yeah. others, others that haven't, like that have probably yeah. fell, fell away because they've not been able to deal with it. So I think that's a great yeah. point. Um, this has been awesome, Walter. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been great. Fun. Thanks, Ben. Um, so a massive thank you for coming on and giving up your time, mate. I know it's really busy with you sorting out all your move over to Philadelphia. So I really appreciate yeah. you, you giving up some time. Um, no, thank you for having me. Not a problem. Do you, do you just want to give some details for yourself? So if people want to reach out, um, I, I'm, I think there's going to be quite a few people really interested in the whole Excel and the spreadsheets and all your work yeah. around that. So do you want to give some contacts or however people can reach out yeah. to you? Um, yeah. If you, perfect spot is always, I mean, LinkedIn, they could always look me up. Walter Grand is, there's only one Walter Grand is, and that's kind of nice. That's just, <laughs> my last name is like really unique. Um, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Uh, it's Walter underscore Grandez. Uh, you can find me also on Instagram if you like, but if you care about like watching like a thousand photos of my dog, which I take a day, <laughs> just, I mean, yeah, by all means, if you, if you care about that, I just like, I'm a dog person. So yeah, so those are the three platforms. Um, yeah, they want to get a hold of me. They want to, you know, talk shop, uh, ask about that, uh, that KPI profile. You know, again, like I make this stuff for free. So just to kind of open up a conversation for people, help people out because yeah, uh, a lot of people are, um, they're too scared to admit that they are uh, not as proficient on Excel. So I mean, like, why not? I'm here to help. Like that's, that's my purpose. Brilliant. Well, yeah. Thank you again for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. And I know, we're a few weeks away now from you making the trip, but best of luck when you Thank get you. over to Philadelphia and um, settling into the new place and everything, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. This was fun. Top man. Thanks, Walter. Thanks, Ben. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Walter. It's great to get him on and to finally have a proper catch-up and a chat with him. Um, he's a coach that obviously has put himself out there, both on social media, but also you, you heard the stories he told about the places he's worked and the traveling he's done. So he's obviously not afraid to put himself out there. Um, and some of my biggest takeaways, he, he talked at the very start about making mistakes. And we've spoke about this a number of times, um, but making mistakes, but learning from those mistakes as well. He also talked about the qualifications that he did, didn't really prepare him for the, the roles that he was going into. And I think he mentioned that one of the best opportunities that he took was with the Olympic team because that gave him a real insight into working in high performance sport. He also um, spoke about questioning a lot that he'd learned, which I think is a really good 
key skill to have as a practitioner. Not necessarily meaning that you change everything that you do um, or you change the things that you've learned, but you question how you apply them. And that's how we constantly evolve as practitioners. He spoke about dealing with parents. We had a discussion about dealing with parents. Um, And then also the three-week cycle that he talked about. So he spoke about the first week being where they teach, the second week being where they refine, and the third week being where they master. They master that program and master master the skills that they've learned in that program. And that, that, that process, Walter's learned that it gives autonomy to the player as well. So I think that was a really interesting um, discussion that we had around the sort of periodization model that he uses. And I know that Walter's been putting out loads of great information throughout his sort of isolation or his quarantine period. There's loads of things that have been going around from the spreadsheets that he's been putting out. So please reach out to him. I know that he'd love to have conversations and share the work that he's doing. Um, he's not a coach that's going to hide away and, and keep things to himself. So please reach out. You can get him on Twitter at W underscore Grandes, or he's also on LinkedIn as well, which is where I've seen a lot of his work shared. So go and reach out to him. I'm sure he'd be happy enough to have a conversation or to share some of the work that he's been doing because it is top quality and it'd be really interesting to see his progression in his new role when he heads over to Philadelphia Philadelphia as well. So massive thank you again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Please share this episode. I'd really appreciate it if you could share it to as many people as possible. And if you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review um, because that would be amazing as well. And we will see you and speak to you next week um, for episode 113.